0: Have you ever made an assumption about something or someone and then later on it turned out to be completely false? Yeah? Yeah? No? Okay. So, um, I uh, my first impression... The first impression that I gave to my wife, in other words, her first impression of me, was something along this lines. And I'm not. This is. This is. I'm not telling a story about her. Um, this is not something that she hasn't repeated um, dozens and dozens of times uh, over our marriage and our relationship together. Um, her first impression of me was, I could never marry that man. He's too serious. okay some of you who know me laughed at that I appreciate that Um, so her thought was her impression of me her assumption of me from just her initial impression was wow this guy's really serious man I could never be with somebody like that but now she thinks that I am the funniest person in the world Okay, you guys didn't laugh at that. I, I thought that would go over a little bit better. But, um, but her, her impressions, her uh, initial assumptions about me were, um, by God's grace, wrong. And, and praise the Lord, we ended up together and married and beautiful family. And, you know, we're just living happily ever after. Um, and it's, it's a wonderful thing. Well, our first impressions... Can be, can be wrong. Or we can, we can misunderstand the nature of something. That, that happens. Um, in fact, we can easily assume that we know what Jesus is all about. We can easily assume that we've got the gospel figured out. That we, we know what this whole Christian thing is all about. Well, that's actually kind of what is happening in Mark chapter 2. Verses 18 to 22, which is what we're going to look at today. The, the question, I think, is being asked here is, is, is following Jesus or is this gospel thing that he's preaching about a, about a fast or a feast? Well, we're going to look at that a little more closely so you can kind of have an idea of what that means. But let's look at that together. Mark chapter 2, I hope you found it already, on uh, a Bible nearby or in your device. Mark chapter 2. And as, if you have it, why don't you go ahead and stand with me um, real briefly before we get too settled in on the mes- for the message. But stand with me once again in honor of God's word as we read together. And I'm going to wet my whistle real quickly. Okay. Mark chapter 2, beginning at verse 18. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came to him and said, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins. And the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. This is the word of the Lord. Go ahead and be seated. So, this little passage comes right off the tail end of, of the passage we looked at last week. When we looked at this calling of a man named Levi, and then Jesus going to Levi's house, or at least... One of the houses, <laughs> probably Levi's house, but could have been somebody else's house, where the sinners and tax collectors were coming and there's there kind of a little conflict there, right? We saw that last week where Jesus is saying, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners, right? Well, this passage, of course, is coming right on the tail end of that, but it's really the third in a sequence of questions about Jesus, Questions about Jesus. It began in, in chapter 2, um, verses 1 to 12, the, the healing of a paralytic man, when Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, and then he said, so that you'll know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, rise, take up your bed, and walk. Well, the question that was asked, and this is significant, in verses 6 and 7 of chapter 2, the question was asked in their heart. The scribes were sitting there, questioning in their heart, why does this man speak like this? Hmm. Okay, very interesting. First, they're questioning their hearts about Jesus. What is he all about? What is he doing? What's going on here? And then... In the last passage, in last week, we saw that the scribes of the Pharisees, they, were, they saw him eating with tax collectors and sinners, and they said to Jesus' disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? So first they're, speaking, they're questioning their heart, then they're questioning his disciples, and now in today's passage, they're actually coming directly to him, and they're saying, why are your disciples doing this? and not doing what the other disciples are doing. So now we have a direct question. The whole whole, uh, 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 tenor of this passage, beginning at the beginning of chapter 2 and even going into chapter 3, is what's Jesus all about? What is this good news that he's been preaching? What does this mean? What is this good news of the kingdom? That he began preaching back in chapter one. What is Jesus all about, and what is this gospel all about? So, it's about fasting, but it's about a lot more than that. We'll see. In fact, let me just let's just let's just take a look at these one at a time, and I want to talk about it in terms of the gospel or. The good news. The good news is not about good works. The good news is not about good works. Well, they begin by talking about fasting. Here they are fasting. John's disciples, Pharisees. And they wonder why Jesus' disciples are not fasting. So what's this whole fasting thing about? I, I would I argue that fasting is a good work. It's a good thing to do. And where did it come from? Well, in the Old Testament, um, there was one day that God commanded people to fast. that was on the Day of Atonement. On that one day out of the year, on the Day of Atonement, a fast was called. The Day of Atonement was not a feast day. Every other special holy holiday of the Jews was a feast day. It was a day to celebrate. It was a day to go... God has done these great things for us, and we're going to party, we're going to celebrate. It was a feast. But on this one day, the Day of Atonement, it was a fast day. And so, that was the one day God commanded them to fast. But, they took that good work, that good practice, which was good. They, they, they used that, they used fasting in a lot of other ways too. They used it when they were mourning the death of somebody. They were, somebody died and they would, they would fast in honor of that person. They, they, were, they would fast in times of preparation to hear from God. Uh, Moses was on the mountain of Sinai for 40 days. In 40 nights, he didn't eat or drink anything, and during that time, he heard from God. God gave him the law. God gave him all of the rules for Israel. Daniel was fasting and praying when he saw visions. So fasting was oftentimes a, a way to prepare one's heart to hear from God. I don't know if you've ever done that. Maybe, maybe fast on, a, on Sunday morning or a fast on, on Saturday evening and prepare to hear from God Sunday morning during worship. I don't know. Uh, maybe, maybe some of us would do something like that. Fasting was also a sign of submission to God. Submitting to God and His will rather than my own. But we would, You would do self-reflection. You would, um, you would uh, abstain from food. As a way to say, I'm not going to submit to my fleshly desires, my my human, my natural, my physical impulses and desires, but I'm going to submit to God and his desires. Or, here's one of the reasons why the people fasted a lot. They fasted in order to petition God, to pray to him, to ask God to do something. They would, the the. Prophets And the kings would sometimes call a fast of the whole nation. And all the people, we're going to fast on this day. And on this day, we are going to seek God's face and ask Him to do something for us. Or maybe someone would fast as part of confession. We'll come to God and, I, God, I admit I am a sinner. And so they would fast as a, as a sign of humility before God, showing that, they are, they are gods and they are seeking his and serious about repentance and serious about, about getting right with him. Now all of those reasons um, for fasting are, I, actually I, I don't see anything wrong with fasting like that. I honestly don't. Fasting when you're mourning about something, when you're mourning somebody's loss. Um, fasting when you're preparing for, for God to speak to you, preparing to get into the Word, or preparing for a time of, of serious reflection and Bible study. Um, fasting as a way to say, God, um, you are in charge of my life, I am not. Fasting as a way to petition God and ask Him to work. And Fasting as a sign of confession. All of those are good. We could call those good works. So, what were the the disciples of John and the disciples of the Pharisees doing? Well, John's disciples were fasting in preparation for the kingdom of God that that John was announcing. But it's interesting that here's Jesus, here's the king, he's already here, and John's disciples are still fasting. Hmm. Hmm. Then the Pharisees and the, uh, and the disciples of the Pharisees, they would fast, essentially. Uh, for them, it would be a carry-on of that uh, submission to God. But for them, it began, began to be more of a sign of their piety. A sign to everybody else that they're very religious. A sign to everybody else that they have really, really submitted to God. That's where we get the fellow at the end of near, later on in Mark who says, I fast twice a day, or twice a week, excuse me, I fast twice a week. And that was their practice. They would practice fasting on what we would call Tuesday, the third day of the week. Is that right? Yeah. And they would fast on Friday, what we would see as, say, the, the what, the sixth day of the week. So they would fast on those days, they begin fasting on those days and that was a sign, a mark of their piety, a, a a mark that they were very religious people, a mark that they were serious about knowing God. Well, what was wrong with that? God was with them! There He is! There's God in the flesh! He's right there in their midst! Why are they still fasting? Why are they fasting to get close to God? They've got Jesus right there. Why are they fasting in preparation for God's kingdom to come? The, the, the disciples of John. When the kingdom has already come. It's right there in Jesus. These, the problem in both of these cases was that their fasting was their continued attempt, their old school attempt at getting close to God May we even say earning His favor? So that God would recognize them and go, Oh, I I see you. I see what you're doing. You're doing all of these good things for me. The truth is for us that God's favor is pure grace. It cannot be earned. Not through fasting. Not through giving. Not through volunteerism not through acts of service, not through any of those means, which in and of themselves can be very good things. We were created by God as His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Absolutely. But as soon as we start to see those good works like fasting as a way to get God's attention to earn his favor look at me look at what i've done god now you owe me it's it's like this it's it's like a it's like if my daughters came to me and said daddy can i have a dollar can i have a, you know 50 cents or whatever and i would be like well sure and i give that to them and then the next day they come to me with a gift they bought at the dollar store and daddy i got you this gift and i'm like, "Wow, and what what would they think they're ver- they're pretty proud of themselves they have they have just got a little bit of love from their daddy and appreciation and man daddy really thinks a lot of them now, but that was a gift that I gave to them, and they're just bringing it back to me. It wasn't something from from well it's the heart that counts right but but we sometimes. What we do is we take that as children. We take all of the good, all of the grace, all of the, the things that God gives us and we grow up with them and we turn them into, well, God, you should love me now because I'm doing all of this for you. It's kind of like, that doesn't make any sense. It, that, it doesn't make any sense for, for us to take and go, okay, God. Now you, you owe me. He doesn't owe us. We owe him, because everything that we have, our life and breath and everything, is from him. So he tells this parable. He actually uh, jump jump ahead a little bit. If you're if you've got your eyes on Mark chapter two, I hope you still do. Jump ahead a little bit to verse twenty one, where he tells this a couple of parables which have always kind of confused me in the past. Like, why in the world are, is this parable about a, a sewing a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment or, or putting old wine, or excuse me, new wine into old wine? Why these parables? And how in the world do they relate to this question of fasting? But the, the, here's, the, here's the thing. It's just as silly for us to attempt to earn God's favor through good works as it is inappropriate to try to sew a new patch on an old garment because as soon as it get these these garments did not they don't come to us they didn't come to us the the patches they didn't come to us pre-shrunk like a lot of the clothes that we buy nowadays right they don't they don't they didn't come like that then they were going to shrink. They were going to get wet. They were going to get laundered, and they were going to shrink. And that unshrunk cloth would then make a worse hole in the garment. And that that old or that new wine would go into these old wineskins that are already stretched out. And if it did that, that new wine would expand as it's fermenting, and it would burst the wineskin, and the wineskin's ruin, and so is the wine, it's all toast, right? just as 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 kind of silly and inappropriate as it would be to do those things is for us to go to God and say i'm fasting woo you see this god that's not what the good news is about the good news is about is not about earning god's favor it's not about the good works that we do for him but what is it about the good news is about good Grace, not about good works. The good news is about good grace. So, verse 19, he says, Hey, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The answer is no. That would be silly. So, what were these wedding feasts all about? The the bridegroom and and the guests and and this wedding feast. It, in that time, um, de- depending on, of course, depending on the the means of the family. But even with with. Families of very humble means that didn't have a lot of wealth. These feasts would last many days. Usually at least a week long. Seven days they would last, these feasts. And all of the family and the neighbors and the relatives would come from far and wide and they would gather in that home and they would just take over. Can you imagine that? You've, I'm, I know some of you have been inundated by guests. Um, and some of them, Chris, will not leave, Right? imagine after seven days everybody out um, well, so the guests would come and they would be celebrating there and there would be food and there would be drink and there would be, be music and, and dancing dancing um, and they would do this for a week long and they'd have this great party and then at the end of that seven, seven days the guests would all go home They'd all go home, and they would leave the bride and the groom who have been celebrating their wedding for seven days. They'd finally be left alone to begin their family together. Okay? But what were the guests doing while they were there? Nothing but enjoying the feast. That's what they did. They had no other responsibility except for to enjoy the feast. The feast. That is what the good news is all about. The good news is that we don't earn God's grace. We're given it. We receive it. We accept it. We rejoice in it. We live in it. That's our responsibility. When we come to Jesus, our responsibility is not to fix our problems so that He'll accept us. Our responsibility is not to go, okay, well, you did this. It's not a matching 401k, if I can use that illustration. It's everything. It's the whole retirement. Boom. Done. Well, wait a minute. I didn't put into just my Social Security. I didn't make any contributions. It doesn't matter. Done. God's got this. And all you got to do is enjoy it. Wow that is good grace amazing how that happens amazing has here here's a question though for you whether you are in Christ whether you've ever put your faith in Christ or not has that good grace changed you has it changed your motivation to worship, your motivation to rejoice? Has it caused you to give up your own interests? Has it caused you to be more generous? Has it caused you to love other people who are unlovely? If you can answer yes to those things, then then I would say there's probably a good chance that you've experienced that good grace. But if not, if it hasn't changed anything about you if, you, if it hasn't changed your joy or your worship or your love or your generosity or those things where, where somebody might go, well, aren't those good works? Do you see how this works? Oh, oh it's, it's, it's a tightrope that we're walking on between good grace and good works that the good grace, when it comes into our lives, causes good works in us. If you haven't, you may never have been changed by god's good grace you may have not experienced that good grace cuz we've seen the good news is not about good works the good news is about good grace and the good news is about total transformation and complete surrender the good news is about total transformation and complete surrender. At the end of these parables, and he talks about the wedding guests and the bridegroom, and he talks about the unshrunk cloth on the old garment and the the old wine or excuse me the, the new wine into old wineskins. And at the very, very end, he says something very profound that new wine is for fresh wineskins. New wine is for fresh wineskins. Now, I've always looked at this passage and I've thought, well, what is this analogy, uh, an analogy of? And I've, and, um, and I have followed some commentators who have said, well, this is about Jesus coming, and what he comes to do is something new. It's a, oh, we're, we're, what, else, what else is new in the New Testament? Oh, that's right, a testament, a covenant. It's a new covenant, a new testament, and it doesn't fit into the old system, the old ways, the, the laws, and, the, and, the, and the, uh, the ceremonies, and the sacrifices, and, and the things like that. And whereas I think that is true, I don't know if that's exactly the point that Jesus is trying to make at the very, very end. I think, in a sense, certainly Jesus is the new wine himself. Uh, Maybe we can make that analogy. But who's he filling? Who has he come to fill us? He's come to fill us. We are, in a sense, are the wineskins. And the thing is that if we come to him old, we come to him old and worn out, and we come to him old garments and old rags, what does he do with us? What does he do to us? He changes us. He transforms us. He makes us new. That's what Jesus does. That's what this good news is all about. It's about total transformation. It's absurd to think that we would put the new patch on the old garment or the new wine in the old wine skins. It'd be just as absurd as me going down to Sharps and saying, Hey Brad, um, my car's not running very well, but I keep putting oil in it. And he's like... Well, that's because you're an idiot. It needs a whole new transmission rebuild. Or the engine needs to be removed and it's got to have a new engine in it. It needs to be made new. You can't, just, you can't just add a little bit of that fluid and fix all your problems. It'd be like somebody getting the diagnosis of, of a serious organ failure. And you say, well, well... well Doctor, can't I just take a pill? No, you can't just take a pill. You need a transplant. You need a new heart. You need a new lung. You need a new liver, or whatever it is. A pill isn't going to do it. We need a total transformation. We don't just add Jesus, a little bit of Jesus to our life, and think, There you go. I'm good to go. I got my religion for the week. I got my Sunday fix. Jesus is not another app that you add to your smartphone to make it more powerful. Jesus is not another tool that you add to your tool chest so just in case you can go to him and get a problem fixed. Jesus is not Just another entree that you can add to the menu of your life to make it a little more spicy or a little more savory or a little more sweet. Jesus comes to totally transform us with the good news. The good news is about total transformation and I said also complete surrender. And many, many times, folks, the reason why we don't experience that transformation is because we haven't surrendered. What is it that is crowding out Jesus from your life? What is keeping you from total or complete, excuse me, surrender? The love of things, the love of people, habits and sins, that we need Jesus to come and transform. Complete surrender. If you want that, you need Jesus. You need to see Him as everything. Change, change this old garment. Make it new, Jesus. Change this old wineskin. Make it new so that I can grow with you. The good news is not about good works. The good news is about good grace. The good news is about total transformation and complete surrender. And let's go back to good again. The good news is about a good Friday. If I put it that way. What happened on Good Friday almost 2,000 years ago? Verse 20. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast in that day. The bridegroom taken away? The bridegroom taken away from them? What? Really? That's not how, it's, that's not how these wedding feasts go. The bride, why would the bridegroom be taken away? It's the guests who leave. They finish the party and they leave things a mess and then they go home. And it's the bride and the bridegroom who are left to kind of clean things up and left to their home and left to their family and to start their marriage together. But the bridegroom taken away, that's right. He was. He was arrested. He was beaten. He was taken away outside the city where he was crucified, where his blood flowed out from him, then buried in a tomb Jesus you see paid for the wedding feast with his own blood his own blood made the way for us to enjoy the feast in revelation Jesus in verse 5 is pictured Excuse me, chapter 5 is pictured as the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. He gave his blood for you and me. He gave his blood so that others outside here, others in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our friendships, in our places of work, in school, could come to the wedding feast as well. And in Revelation chapter 19, verse 6, John hears what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Complete surrender. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. See how good works work into that now? and the angel said to me write this blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper the marriage feast of the lamb and he said to me these are the true words of god the big idea in this passage when we come to the question the good news jesus feast or excuse me fast or feast yes, there may be a place for fasting in our lives. He said, there may come a time or there will come a time when the bridegroom is taken away and then they will fast. There's there's certainly a time for fasting in the Christian experience. But, day by day by day, we feast with him. The good news of Jesus is a feast. Life everlasting. Joy never ending. So what about you? (laughs) What, what have been your assumptions about Jesus and about this gospel, this good news? Do you, have you assumed this whole time that if you're good enough, Jesus will accept you? That if you get some of these things right, Jesus will accept you? Don't you see that Jesus has done it all for you? He has given you all your riches. He has given you Himself. You have but only to come to Him and receive what He gives you by His good grace that was paid for on that Good Friday. Will you come to Him like that? Will you come to Him today? Maybe it's today maybe there are things that you need to excise from your life right now maybe the in a sense fast from from your own self righteousness fast from the sins that you have that you are committing and say no i want total transformation i want complete surrender i want this good grace to always be mine will you do that let's pray father we thank you for your grace we Thank you for the good Friday. Thank you for the blood that you shed for us. We thank you that our life in you is a feast. It is mercy. It is grace unending. We thank you for your glory.